You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Well, let's turn our Bibles over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Wednesday night we were uh, going through what I labeled the last of our studies in the series on end time insights, but um, I was wrong. We got one more. It's today, and then we're going to close it out next Sunday where Peter's going to, sorry, I know, where uh, Peter's going to talk about knowing all of these things, what manner of people ought we to be. But um, man, this has just been so important, I think, to just you know, Peter in, in chapter 3 goes right to the very end, God creating a new heavens and a new earth. And we've taken the last few weeks and talked about the events, key events that would be leading up into the end. So we could look around and go, are we close to the end times? And so we went through some of the key events. We started with the rapture of the church, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, Paul there, First Corinthians chapter 15, again, talking about a one-time event that is yet to happen in the future where the father's going to say to his son, go get your bride. And that is where he will come and, and take us out of this place. Uh, true believers, true born-again, spirit-filled believers. He will take them out, and that is yet to happen. But when he does that, we looked at the next key event, which would be Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, where we will be in heaven and our glorified bodies, and for seven years we will feast with the Lord. We then looked at the next key event would be the second coming of Christ. The rapture is Jesus coming for his bride. Second coming, seven years later, from heaven, Jesus comes with his bride. Comes down to the earth. We talked about the three major things that the Bible talks about him doing within the scope of his second coming. The first would be a visit to Megiddo, where we will see the, the battle of Armageddon. The second stop will be Petra, where... Jews who halfway through the tribulation period realized the Antichrist was not who they thought he was. Jews today and Jews through the tribulation period will think that the Antichrist is a political liberator. Uh, they, they are going to be looking at him as one that will reinstate their daily sacrifices, which will happen. The second, excuse me, third temple will be rebuilt. But halfway through that period of time, um, he's going to walk into that temple and say that he is God and everyone should worship him. And they're going to, they're going to flee as Jesus told them to in Matthew chapter 24. But 144,000 of them will be sealed and secured. Um, they will be in, in the rock-fortified city of Petra, which is in Jordan. And we gave some scriptures showing that in that time period, following the second coming, Jesus will go to the city of Petra and he will, he will proclaim who he is. They will realize then who he is. Third key event following... The second coming will be Jesus going to the Mount of Olives, where in Zechariah 14, he sets his foot upon the Mount of Olives. It splits in two. He enters into the city of Jerusalem, across from that, um, through the eastern gate, and he establishes his millennial reign. Um, last week, we went through the, the details of the millennium. We looked at the purpose of the millennium. We looked at the people of the millennium, and we looked at the peace and the prosperity of the millennium as people are living under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Those thousand years where Satan is locked up, um, it is going to be an amazing thing. We, we, we looked a little bit, we talked about, kind of ended with, uh, you know, towards the end of the millennium, at the end of the millennium, there will be a final judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. We read about that for you note takers in Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. Um, this is a judgment, a judgment of God, where he will be on a throne and he will judge, but he will judge every sinner that has rejected his plan of redemption down through history from Adam forward. Every non-believer will be judged. All of those who rejected his plan of salvation through the millennial reign, all of those who rejected their opportunity to get saved during the tribulation, all of those who rejected Jesus Christ during the church age from Acts chapter 2 till even today. All of those in the Old Testament that rejected God's plan of redemption, salvation through that covenant. All the way back to Adam. All of those will be 
judged at the great white throne judgment for their sin, ultimately for their rejection of God's salvation that he provided to all man down through history. There'll be books there as well. Books will be open. A Bible will be there. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judged him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in that last day. So the very words that sinners have rejected will judge them on that last day. Every sinner is going to be accountable for every bit of truth about God, about his plan of salvation. They will be accountable for the truth that they have heard and rejected in their life. Another book that will be there will be the book of life. The book of life contains the names of those that have accepted Christ. There will be no opportunity for any sinner to argue their case at that final judgment. When the books are open, the facts will be revealed and everyone will stand speechless before Christ. And those names, John saw it, whose, those who, whose names were not written in the book of life, they will be cast into hell. It says in Revelation 20, 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found, written, not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The very place where the devil, the beast, and the false prophet were previously cast in verse 10 of Revelation chapter 20. Now, these are all key events. Key events that have yet to happen. On Wednesday night, we talked about another key event that the Bible talks about in the latter days, and it's a battle. Ezekiel chapter 38. It's a battle that happens with Israel once they're brought back to the land and made a nation once again within the land, and God begins to bless even the, the land, the vegetation and whatnot. Ezekiel 36, 37. So when that happens, in that day, which we have seen since May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. Then in chapter 38, we see these these countries, and they, they forge this alliance and come against Israel and attack Israel. To date, we have never seen the countries that are mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 30 come together and attack Israel. But those countries, as we begin to talk about that on Wednesday night, I won't develop the whole thing, but they involve you know, the countries to the north, the far north of Israel, which of course would be, which would be Russia. Gog, the leader of that region, Magog, Meshach, and Tubal, all people from that region. Persia, which is Iran, modern-day Iran. Cush, which is modern-day Sudan or Ethiopia. Put, which is Libya. Gomer, which is the northern part of modern-day Turkey. And then Tagarma, which is the rest of Turkey. It's interesting that we see all of those nations with, you know, Islamic rule and even extreme Islamic beliefs. Interesting. We don't see Egypt mentioned. We don't see Jordan mentioned. We do see Saudi Arabia mentioned, but they're not leaguing with them to fight against Israel. They're just kind of sidelined protesting it. And they're protesting it. They're Sheba and Dedan there is who they are mentioned in verse 13. And they're, they're protesting it with Tarshish, which is modern-day Europe. And the young lions of Tarshish, which are Australia, Canada, and America. They're just standing back and protesting. And I made the point, and I'll leave Ezekiel 38 to this last point. What would it take for America today to not stand militarily with, with Israel if all of Russia and these Arab nations forged an alliance and came against it? Hmm. I, I don't think it would happen if the church was still in America. So I believe that the church must be taken out, and then we'll find an America that will not support Israel. But if you were not here, I would encourage you. Uh, we we talked not just about that battle, but we talked about prophecy, the significance of Bible prophecy. We talked about Israel and its significance in the role of Bible prophecy. And we talked about and gave great scriptures, scriptural support on why we today should stand with and support the nation of Israel. So you can go and listen to that online. Verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3. For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, we'll talk about verse 11 next week. Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Also, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here in our text, we have two days mentioned. One is the day of the Lord. One is the day of God. There are four days, specific days, terms, that are used in Scripture that, that relate to Bible prophecy. There's the day of man, which is a reference to, well, the era in which we are living, where Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, is, has limited rule. One day that will not be the case. The day of man. Then there is the day of the Lord. We talked about that also referring to a season, and it begins with the rapture of the church, and it encompasses all of the events that lead up into the end of the millennial reign. Then we have the phrase, the day of Christ. The day of Christ refers specifically to the rapture of the church, and then here we have the day of God. The day of God refers to this day when God will create a new heaven's and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. We're talking about the eternal state. Now, in the millennium, which we just talked about last week, that thousand years where Christ will, will rule and reign, there were some eternal aspects to the millennium. There was and is a king who is eternal, Jesus. His kingdom, which he will establish, will never end. It is eternal. You and I, we came back in our glorified bodies, which were made for eternity, by the way, and we will live through the millennial reign on into the eternal state. So we too, in that sense, were eternal. But the focus here in, 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 in this, this passage that Peter has here is on not so much the people, but, but on a future habitation that God is going to create. The final eternal dwelling that will replace the earth and the heaven, heavens as we know them to be. I think most of us like things that are, are new, <laughs> especially if something that is new is replacing something that is completely ran down. I don't know if you've ever had the chance of getting a new car, but man, there's nothing like getting into a new car with new features and that new smell, amen? And that new smell smells way happening, especially if your old car had a really bad smell. <laughs> You're like, oh, this is great. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to, 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 to have a, a new office or a new kitchen or a new house. But man, that new office, that new kitchen, that new house, that could be absolutely exhilarating, especially if the old office, the old kitchen, the old house was no longer working as it was designed to work. This is the way that God looks at earth presently. His future plan is to make all things new. And that begins with getting rid of what would be seen as old. The obliteration of the present world and our universe. Verse 10, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. and The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it are going to be burned up. Kenneth Wiest is a great Greek scholar. He has some great grammatical aids to kind of break down the Greek, and he, he writes of this verse, and he gives a more literal explanation. He says, and I quote, the heavens with a rushing noise will be dissolved, and the elements being scorched will be dissolved, and the earth also and the works in it will be burned up. Many scholars look at this, and they they believe that what Peter is describing is the action of atomic energy being released by God. The phrase with a great noise is also translated with a, with a hissing and a crackling sound. You know, people who were able to witness, or their fathers maybe now were able to witness the time that we exercised the igniting of atomic bomb there in, in Nevada said that, man, it was, it was a hissing and a crackling sound. 
The elements will, will melt here, it says, with fervent heat. The word melt here in the Greek talks about disintegrating, being dissolved. It carries the idea of something being broken down into its, its basic elements. And that is what happens when atomic energy is released. It's interesting, Jesus even said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away. The perceivable material world, the earth, the water, the wind, all these things will be wiped clear to make way for something new. All of creation as we know it is going to be instantly and totally destroyed. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, speaking about Jesus, Paul says, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That, that word consist, we have one word for consist, but it's made up of two Greek words. And one of the words means to stand or to establish. The other Greek word means with or beside. It's speaking of the ability to stand things together or to hold things together. Paul says there that by, by, by the power of Christ, all things are held together. So Jesus not only creates the universe, he sustains the universe. He holds it together. He created, maintains, sustains, and holds it all together. Jesus is gravity. He is centrifugal force. He is the one who keeps every aspect of space in their proper place and in their proper form and in their proper motion. He is the energy of the universe. Scientists are astounded by atomic structure. There's lots of mysteries that are still to be unraveled when they're studying the atom. What they've discovered is that atoms are made up of electrons and, and neutrons and protons. At the nucleus of an atom, you can picture this in your mind's eye, is, is a cluster of positive charged protons. The electrons, of course, are negative charges that spin around them. But the mystery, the mystery is that the protons should never really stay together in that cluster. A cluster of positively charged items should blow apart, not, not stay together. We see that when we take magnets. We take both of the positive charged side of that magnet, of one magnet, and we try and push it to the positively charged side of the other magnet. They repel each other. That's the idea. That's Colum's Law of Electricity. In 1875, Column, a French physicist, he's like, like charges, they repel. That's a law that says basically there's no way that the nucleus of an atom should stay together. I remember reading recently, it says, if you take one gram of protons, one 154th of a pound, and you place one gram on the North Pole and one gram on the South Pole, 8,000 miles away, it will take 50,000 pounds behind each gram to keep them from pushing apart. That's how powerful the force is to push it apart. Whatever holds it all together, that might be a mystery to scientists, but you know, they, they, they basically have labeled it atomic glue. Yeah, that's what's holding it all together. It's, it's, it's atomic glue. We Christians... We have a different name of what's holding it all together. It's Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says, He upholds or sustains all things by His power. So atomic blasts are caused by upsetting the molecular structure of an atom. Now by doing this, it causes the positive charges to respond according to their own nature, and that is rebelling one another. As they repel, a tremendous force is generated. It takes a stronger force than that which is released to hold the atoms together. What would happen if Jesus, who's holding it all together, 
let's go. Pow! That's what will happen. It would be one giant atomic blast. Column's law would come into play. The light charges would repel, and the, the nucleus of the atom would blow apart, and the universe, as we know it, would explode. Everything we see would be dissolved. Science calls this a thermonuclear reaction. We call this God's reaction. <laughs> God's reaction to his saying, it's time for a new heaven and a new earth. Therefore, verse 11 again, since all these things will be dissolved, in the Greek, lehud, loosened, what manner of persons ought we to be in a holy conduct and godliness, looking forward and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved. Again, lehud, loosened, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the earth as we know it, and even as Peter says here, the heavens, and when he talks about this happening to the heavens, he's not talking about the heaven of heavens where the throne of God dwells. He's talking about the destruction of the earth and the atmosphere of the heavens around it, which we and I know as, as the universe. And this will make room for a new heaven and a new earth. So everything, every work of man, every invention of man, everything that man has built, every achievement will be destroyed in a moment of time. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we would look at all of that if there wasn't our promise and go, man, that's serious stuff. We have people today that are really pushing the idea of global warming, and if we don't do something about it, then the earth as we know it will no longer exist. If you're a Christian here, you know, your Bible here, you should look at that and go, yeah, we should be good stewards of our planet. I definitely believe that. Shouldn't worship it, but we should be good stewards of it. But I, I think it's fair to say that the conclusion that they're drawing, that mankind will destroy the planet with whatever is destroying the planet as far as, you know, through all the rubbish that we're throwing around, through all the emissions that we're letting go, whatnot. And we've got to look at it and go, no, no, hold on. Um, there's going to be an earth that one day God will destroy. So we're not going to do this. Can we agree on that? God is going to do this. Is that okay to say? All right. Be biblical. Let the Word of God form your worldview. Do not let our culture or the political nonsense that you're hearing in these days form your worldview. Let the Word of God form your worldview. Amen. Support. Now, understand, when we started this series, we talked about, look, this is, like when you, when you were saved, I was saved, this is the script. This is part of the plan that God has for our life. It, it, it began with conversion. And it began there to, to, to walk and enjoy the abundant life with him down here. That's part of his plan. That how he would use you here, how he would gift you here, what he would do to touch others through you. All of that's part of his plan for you here. But his plan for you doesn't end here. His plan involves taking you there. You're like, eh, eh. Yeah, I'm so not done with this place yet. It's already written. The, the, the planets are, it's just like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere, and it's, it's giving me case and points, facts about where I'm going and what it's going to be like. There will be a rapture. There will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be the second coming. There will be the millennial reign of Christ. There will be God taking what you and I know, and it will dissolve. But that is to make room for the new and improved. You know, we have these shows. I've watched them. You've watched them where, I don't know, they pick some family. I don't know how you get on those lists, but that'd be a good list to get on. They're like, you know what? We're going to take your home. 
and we're going to like completely remodel this thing for free. Sometimes I watch those and I'm like, hey, Lori, how do we get on that list? They ought to start doing that for churches. I think about that too. But, you know, the family's all happy. They send them away to Disneyland or somewhere like that for like a week and they bring in all these people and all these workers and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, the people are like, today's the day. And they roll some truck or some big banner in front of the house. They pull them up and they usually wipe them, you know, all excited because she's the nester. And the guy's all stoked because, hey, I'm the builder, man. I don't have to build nothing, you know. Hey, you know, move that truck or whatever it is. Ah, and everybody, a whole neighborhood's there. Yeah, it was all. And they go inside and they're crying. They're absolutely crying sometimes. They've just got into the foyer, the entryway or whatever. Like, the kids are crying. Everybody's crying. The dog's crying. They haven't even went outside yet. That is a temporal dwelling place that human beings lose their mind over. We're going to read through just what heaven will be, and it won't end. Every single one of those shows, everything that man did there is subject to the second law of thermodynamics. As soon as they put in the plumbing, it's starting to break. <laughs> anything metal, anything's decaying. But, but, but we are going to somewhere where the curse is not, where the, the effects of the curse is not. Amen. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, I'm, I'm just going to get into it. Okay. All things are new. A new time dimension, timelessness. A new habitation that's eternal. Everything there will be new. We will have never seen it before. We will have never experienced it before. A new age. All the relationships we will form in eternity, they're going to be new because they're going to be in our glorified bodies. And we're going to be enjoying one another as life was meant to be enjoyed. No more aging, no more staging, no more sickness, no more sorrow. We'll get into all that. But, but new relationships, new kind of relationships in our glorified bodies. The Bible does talk about three heavens. It speaks about the atmosphere around the earth, which our birds fly around. It speaks about the celestial heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe and such. And then it speaks about the third heavens, the dwelling place of God, where the throne of God is. Through modern science, of course, man has visited the celestial heavens. We've rocketed through space. We've walked on the moon. But no man can ever get to heaven, the third heavens, unless it's with God's doing, unless it's with God's help. For the most part, unless we put off these tents, be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Now, heaven for the most part, that heaven where God is, we're talking about here, it's, it's the expected end of all Christians. You talk to almost any Christian, you're going to heaven. Of course I'm going to heaven. I want to go to heaven. We do want to go to heaven. I was reading a funny story about two men. They, they died years ago, but they both lived in the same complex. One was a salesman and one was a minister. That's why I was drawn to the story. It was a story. It's kind of humorous. But one week, the minister died. And on the same week that the minister died, the salesman traveled to this highly built-up trip to Florida for the first time. His first business when he arrived to Florida was to telegraph his wife and inform her that he had arrived safely. So the same week that this minister died is the same week that this salesman travels to Florida, and he sends this telegram to his wife. The interesting thing about these two men is they both have the same last name. So as the telegraph arrives at this complex, it was delivered to the wrong house. You can imagine the astonished Christian widow when she opened the letter and it read, Hello, honey, I've arrived safely, and the heat here is terrible. It's worse than any of the horror stories. It's not what we expect. Every Christian expects, well, we're going to heaven. We expect our loved ones to go to heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said he was caught up into the third heavens. And he heard inexpressible words. Paul says it would be illegal. I can't even use words down here to describe what 
I saw there. It would just minimize what I saw. What is it like in heaven? Revelation 4 and 5 give us some activities around the throne. We hear this idea of a, of a new heaven, a new earth. Even when Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 19, 28, he called it the regeneration of the earth. And the word regeneration there spoke of a rebirthing. Not a remodeling, not a refurbishing, not a facelifting. It spoke of something new. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, same thing. It's talking about this time. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. And when he says, I create, it's the word bara. It's to create something from nothing. It's not a saw, which is to renovate or to, to, to refurbish or to recondition. It will be new. Revelation 20, 21, turn with me over there. John here has some insights for us following the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Chapter 19, we had the marriage supper of the Lamb, battle of Armageddon, second coming, chapter 20, we have the white throne, Chapter 21 now, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her, her husband. So we have this new dwelling place, a new heaven, a new earth, the first to pass away, and then he talks about there will be no more sea. And I've heard all kinds of people talk about this. Pastors that surf are all bummed out. There's not going to be any ocean in heaven, you know, all that. The, the new earth won't have oceans and whatnot. Two-thirds of our earth is all made up of ocean. And I've looked at that, and I thought about, well, I think what happens when we say there's not going to be no more sea, a lot of us were like, we love the ocean. Man, that's, when I think about, like, paradise, hey, Lance, you want to take a break and go to paradise? What's my paradise? I think about white sand, turquoise water, 74-degree temperature, good surf right out front, a couple of, you know, I don't know, what are those things? Hammocks, those are the things, yes, palm trees, one for me, one for Lori, you're not invited, just her and I. <laughs> and, 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 and it's just, that's heaven. That's like in my mind on earth, when I think about, like, what's the greatest? That's where a lot of people go. And I think that's the idea. I think, I think, you know, God's like, just when you think about what's next, what I'm doing for you next, think about the best you have here, and it's no more there. It's just better. Everything's better. Everything's better. Then we have, in verse 2, John sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is like, here you go, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this is the creator of all creation. What has he created for us to enjoy in eternity? What is our habitation going to be like? Well, here's the capital. Here's just the capital. John gives more details to this capital, the new Jerusalem, that's coming down in verses 11 through 21. Look, look forward here. It, it says in verse 11, the glory of God is her light. Just the, 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 the light throughout eternity is going to be emanating from God, from, from, from Him. Having the glory of God, her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper, clear as a crystal. Now again, John is trying to just describe in terms, like I saw a light coming from the throne and it lit up the capital. It lit up eternity. And, and the light coming from that, it's not like the light of a torch. It's not like the light of a fire. It's not like the light of whatever he saw in his day. He's like, oh yeah, it's like, like the light that emanates from a diamond or from the most precious, clear, valued stone. That brilliance of a radiance is emanating from God, his glory, lighting this up. 
The city in verses 12 and 13 has walls and gates. Also, she had a great and high wall, 12 gates, and 12 angels at the gates, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Interesting. Three gates on the east, north, south, and the west. Each gate has the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Interesting. Next gate, there's an angel. So there's like a heavenly usher's ministry going on too. And notice that St. Peter is not standing at the gate. That's an interesting thing, as all the myths like to say. But, but it's kind of like a representation of the Old Testament, something God was doing in the Old Testament. Just follow me. Verse 14 says that each of the 12 foundations has one of the names of the 12 apostles. So significant names out of the Old Testament. Huh. Man, those are on the walls. Significant names out of the New Testament on the foundations. And the 12 apostles, of course, that's, that's our heritage. The message of the gospel was carried on through them. Acts 2, they were taught, the early church that is, the apostles' doctrine. And Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, it says that we've been the church been built on the foundation, the apostles and the prophets. And of course, it's what they taught, not them as individuals. But Jesus Christ himself being our chief cornerstone. Amen? Our faith is built on the doctrine and the practice of the apostles. The idea is that the city unites God's people. Old Testament saints. New Testament saints. Israel and the church. Verses 16 and 17, God gives John gives the dimensions of the capital. The city is laid out as a square. So it's a perfect square, the capital. Its length and its great as its breadth. And it's measured the city with a reed. And it's 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. He measures the wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, <clears throat> of an angel. So let me just give you this math broken down in our English. The met, the, the, this capital, the new city, descending down with light emanating from it, as clear and as pure as, as a spike of light coming from the most valued stone of our day. Just pure light. It's, it's 1,500 miles each way. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles tall. It is 3 billion with a B cubic miles. That's 150,000 times the size of London. The walls around the city, verse 17, are 216 feet tall. If God gave everyone a cubic mile to live in, you would have 3.3 billion, with a B, people house. Pull down the ceiling, just the ceiling by half a mile, you would double your capacity. But then you have the rest of the heavens beyond the new capital and the new earth. Remember again who the architect is, a builder and a maker who goes by the name of God, our creator. The walls. In verse 18, the construction of the wall was jasper. And it just goes on to describe the, the decorated just walls, jasper, and the city was pure gold, like pure glass. Not this opaque gold like we have today, but pure gold. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones of jasper and sapphire and, and emeralds and, and sardonyx, all the sardis, all these stones. Fact is, <coughs> excuse me, these stones that decorate the walls of the capital descending down are the same stones that are in the breastplate on the ephod of the high priest. Foundations as well are covered with these stones. Verse 20, each foundation is beautifully garnished with these amazing stone. Each separate foundation will have its own stone. So imagine all these brilliant colors radiating just as the, as the glory of God, you know, just just unthinkable. 
what, what this city's going to look like, what eternity is going to look like. In verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Not covered with pearls. They are massive pearls. Each gate. If the walls are 260 feet tall, imagine how big these pearly gates would be. We get, that's where we get the name, pearly gates. But it's just one pearl. That, that's the gate. Massive, massive pearls. Imagine the size of the oysters these things came from. But, but then it gets to the really exciting stuff. Verse, verse 3, if we just kind of move back. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Folks, this is what heaven is all about. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne says, Behold, I will make all things new. And he's like, write this down, because these words are true, and they are faithful. This world is not our home. I'm going to say it again. This world is not our home. It's not our home. This is home. We're reading about home. Jesus is going to say, after the former things have passed away and he's made all things new, he's going to say, it's yours, Lance. Enjoy. I don't know when. I don't know where. I don't know how, but I will find my dad. I will find your dad if he's there. I will find many that we have said see you later to here. I will be, you will be in glorified bodies. They will be in their glorified bodies. And we will embrace once again. We will hold, we will embrace that which will never see death again. We will hold, we will embrace that which will never be subject to disease or decay, common cold, common flu again. Praise God. The curse has been hard on life. I was walking into the room. My daughter Kendra was a couple hours away from pushing. She's sitting there. She's all happy. I'm looking at her. Today I'm going to be a, a mommy, daddy. Yes. All of a sudden she looked at me with a contorted look. I had not seen that look before. <laughs> Ezra was saying, it's time. And her fa face said, oh, no. And her daddy went, bye-bye. <laughs> And we can just walk through from the very birthing process the effects of the curse on life, all the sin, all the sorrow. Some of you have come from fractured homes, fractured marriages, fractured relationships. The, the hurt, even now as I bring that up, it just hurts. We are living in a world right now, a world that's fallen and dark. It's becoming more and more immoral. And it is, it is a great time to be a Christian, is it not? It really is. I'm not going to take you down this deep, dark hole and say, oh, oh, it's so bad. No, this is the effects of the curse. This is the effects of sin. It's real. But in this world, with so many people living and, and, and just facing the effects of sin and the curse, we can find our God we can find salvation. We can find hope. We can find meaning. We can find healing. And we have the goods. We have the message. We have the message that, that you, can, you can be freed from the penalty and the power of sin by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. We have that message. We have that message that we can say to people, that's just the beginning. This is that we get eternity thrown in. We have that message. The church today needs to be alive 
and revived to where we can proclaim that message in a convincing way to a world that is lost and needs Jesus. Folks, this is our home. Eternity is our home. We're just passing through. Amen? Amen. Father, we pray as we close out our time here, you would use these words. These scriptures that we've went through, Father, that have, man, just made us excited about your plan, a plan that indeed involves living life down here abundantly with you, but for eternity, throughout eternity with you. And if you're here this morning, or maybe even one of those that are watching online, and you, you, you hear all of this and you're like, man, I want that. But you know you don't have that. You know that right now you're not a Christian. You know that if today your life were to be taken from you, you, you don't have that assurance that you would spend eternity with God. You don't have the assurance that you would go to heaven. Quite possibly you fear that you would go to hell. Maybe you're a, a prodigal, man. You've walked away from the Lord. It's been a while since you've, you've thought about these things. Eternity is a long time. It doesn't end. Where we spend eternity, will we make that decision down here? For you that would say, Pastor Lance, I'd like you to pray with me. I need, I need to get it right with God. And you know that. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer in just a moment. But I want you to really think about this. If God has convicted you, his word has convicted you this morning, understand that that is, that is love. God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He loves you. He desires an intimate, personal relationship with you now. And he desires to spend all eternity with you. But God will not force salvation on you. For you prodigals, he's not going to force you to turn around and, and, and turn your back on the world, on the sin, on whatever it is that you've ran to, whatever it is that's keeping you from him. He's not going to force you to turn from that. But it'll convict you. It's your choice. To repent, which means to turn from and to run back to Jesus. And, and you will find that he's right where he left you. Right where you left him, he is there. But if this is you this morning and you just feel that, that God is speaking to your heart, would you just raise your hand up? I just want to see if there's people here online at home. You could raise your hand up too. Yeah, I see these hands going up my left, in the middle here. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah. Anybody on the right? Yeah, praise the Lord. Well, Lord, you see the, you see the hearts behind these hands, more importantly. Man, if that's you, you're just not sure, just say, Jesus, pray this to him. Just say, Jesus, I, I thank you for getting my attention. I, I do need you. I'm turning to you right now as a sinner, and I'm saying, I need you. If you've never been saved, tell them that. Say, I, I'm not saved, <laughs> and I need you right now to save me. I ask you to save me. Just tell them you believe that he is he's God. He died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead for you. Tell him you believe that. <coughs> and ask him right now. Just say, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you take that which separates me and you? Would you take that from my life right now? Just ask him to do that. For you that are coming back to him. 
Man, you confess whatever it is that you've ran to. It's, you've allowed to come between you and him. You confess that to him right now. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to remove that from your life as well. Oh, Father, do that work right now. Spirit, Holy Spirit, do that work in these hearts that are asking you for salvation, coming back and saying, hey, forgive me. And I would just encourage you right now to embrace the grace. Embrace the love of God. Embrace the salvation. Embrace the forgiveness. Just thank Jesus for doing what he's doing in your heart right now. If he's forgiven you, say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. If he's saving you, Lord, say, thank you for saving me. Invite his spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, come in my life, man. Come in right now. And Father, as they're praying, we as the church pray right now for them. Would you join me, people? Pray. Lord, please. Man, for these you've touched this morning. Give them a hunger for you. Oh, we pray that together. Give them a hunger for your word. A love for you. A love for your word. A love for your people, Lord. Root them and ground them in your word, we pray. Use them, Lord. May they follow you passionately. No turning back. Passionately, Lord, may they follow you. That others might come to know you through their journey of faith. We love you. We thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Lord's good. Let's all stand. So again, next week we will promise if we're here finish up how then are we to live knowing all of these things we've taken seven weeks to talk about these things now how are we to respond and we'll talk about that next week good good week to bring some unsafe friends tell people maybe out of the area that aren't saved hey listen up it's going to be a challenge for a proper response to god and what he's doing in the end times but we love you guys Me's going to sing us lead us in a song here god bless you guys